Welcome to Signs from the Other Side with Fern Rone. I'm your host, Fern Rone, and this is the place to share stories of signs and messages received from the other side. Before we get to the show today, just a quick and friendly reminder that if you would like to hear more episodes of Signs from the Other Side, please be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, maybe also tell a friend. Thank you so much for listening and on to the show. Dr. Peggy DeLong is a clinical and forensic psychologist in private practice in New Jersey. She is also a public speaker and gratitude expert holding public events and workshops on the power of gratitude. She's the creator of Peggy's Midnight Creations, bracelets with inspirational messages for life's transitions and challenges. And she is an author as well. I Can See Clearly Now, a memoir about love, grief, and gratitude is now available. Peggy and I first chatted on episode seven of season one before her book was released. And I am so happy to have her back to discuss her book. Hi, Peggy. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Congratulations on the book. I know it was many years in the making, and I can tell you I cried many tears reading it. It's really powerful and beautiful. And I know, even though I I know the, the story, ultimately, just to read the details and the picture you paint, it's really amazing. So congratulations. Well, thank you very much. I, I'm so glad that it's out in the world so that uh, people can read about these very important people. For listeners who are not familiar with the story, they should go back and listen to episode seven of season one. But if you can give the brief synopsis of that time in your life that's captured in the memoir. Sure. It started back in about 1992 when I first met my former fiance. Uh, and we were briefly dating. And then a year went by and I hadn't heard from him. And then he called me again. And uh, we started dating again. And it, everything was wonderful. We got engaged. And then about three months into the engagement, he woke up with a lump on the side of his neck. And unfortunately, it was a very, very aggressive form of cancer. And they told him that uh, without treatment in two weeks, he would be dead and that he had about a 15% chance of survival. And I thought that if anybody could beat this, it was going to be him. He had already survived being in a coma for 21 days after a horrific car accident. Uh, he had been struck by lightning. And I just thought if anybody could beat this, it was him. Uh, unfortunately, um, seven months of, of battling the uh, disease, he succumbed seven months later. Um, so it was a very, very difficult time. And my, I, I moved back home to be with my parents. It, it was just too unbearable to be in the apartment that I shared with him. So I moved back home and was so glad uh, to be back in the comfort of my childhood home with my parents. And then unfortunately, six weeks after my fiance died, my father died from a sudden heart attack. Uh, so my mother and I were actually two young widows living together. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a really dark time, but mm -hmm. uh, there was a very happy ending. We've, uh, I've been married now 21 years and my mother 20. So I'm so grateful that we were both able to find love again, um, but it certainly wasn't easy. And mm -hmm. my hope is that I provide through my memoir, uh, some hope for another um, grieving, particularly a young person. I, I, when I was, you know, grief is a lonely place to be in, period. But mm -hmm. I think uh, I felt like I was the only person in my 20s that I knew who had lost a partner. And I couldn't find any book out there 
for someone, either a fiance, there's not even a word in the English language for the loss of a fiance by death. You know, a widow wow. really pertains to marriage. So, mm-hmm. so even the fact that there was not a word for what I was made me feel um, lonely. So I, I really wrote it for myself, but I do hope that it can provide some comfort to someone who might be grieving the loss of a, long, a loved one or just to know that after tragedy, life can be good again. Yes, it's such a story of hope. It's heart-wrenching and it's 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 hard at times. I was I was just so sad at times for you. I just wanted to hug you. But it is such a story of hope, such happy endings for both of you and so smart the way you handled your grief. And I think it could help a lot of people. I know whoever's meant to be listening to this right now is listening for a reason. And I hope they pick it up because it's it's beautiful and it's helpful. I usually warn people that it is sad. Um <laughs> And again, and then it gets better. But the good thing is that overall, like you said, it, it provides hope that despite all of the sadness, that there is is hope and love at the other end. There is, because there were happy tears coming from my eyes too. Very happy. Um, yeah. So you start off by describing that morning shortly after you were engaged that Scott found the lump. And then you describe kind of going into the other room and staring out the window. And you just had a, you called it a premonition. I know a lot of people are, in the process of learning this and myself included, but how do you decipher between when my anxiety is talking to me, you know, my mind's filling me with worry and and intrusive thoughts. That's one thing. And then there's this kind of deep down knowing is, is there a way you can explain the difference? Well, I, I would say that it was more not in my head. Like I Mm. I felt it. I, it's hard. It's so hard to describe, Mm. but it, it was like, I felt it in my heart. And it wasn't a thought that I could just push out of my head. And I tried for seven months. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, it was particularly difficult because he didn't want to talk about his illness at all. So I just had to go with that, that that was his way of coping, mm-hmm. that he, he didn't want to talk about it. So that made it really difficult to acknowledge, um, for me to process that awful mm-hmm. feeling that I had. And, and how he wanted me to go on um, without him. Uh, so all of these unanswered questions that, that gratefully I, I get messages now. Yes. So, I, so I didn't get my messages when he was alive, but now I get messages through different, different things mm-hmm. um, that are just undeniable that I feel that he is telling me that, uh, yes, I'm on the, on the right track and he's happy for the life that I have created for myself. Absolutely. And you describe him so perfectly. He just sounds like such a sweet, extraordinary guy. When you described your first date, you were bike riding through his hometown and he was telling you, you know, like this person lives here, that person lives there. I've been best friends with this person since, you know, a kid. I would be like, what a sweetheart. Like he's a cool guy, but he has a heart too. And I love that that was what you recognized about him that made you start falling in love with him. And then he was struck by lightning is, is unfathom I've never met anyone struck by lightning I've never met anyone who's been in a coma and this person had done both and he survived it it I couldn't blame you for thinking like this guy is gonna make it yeah yeah and so because of everything that he'd been through I thought that you know if he was so strong if anybody could be that it was going to be him and that was just also his mentality 
um, mm. that that he was, you know, of course, I think, you know, anybody battling cancer, that's the way you have to um, deal with it. There's, I mm-hmm. can't imagine any other way. So yeah. I just went with it. And, and I, you know, the strange thing is, I remember sitting down with the oncologist and hearing, you know, they were giving percentages, and I don't mm-hmm. like to go by percentages, but they, yeah. that was what the prognosis was. But during the seven months after that, I completely forgot that that even happened. I my 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 brain just um, set it aside. Yeah, and I didn't recall it until I looked back at my journal and I saw it written down. I had no memory of it. So it's really amazing what the brain does to protect ourselves so yes. that we can cope and do what we need to do. Because if I had been thinking about that every day, I would not have been able to be emotionally present for him the way that he needed me. That makes sense, right? If you had that percentage in your brain, you would be like, just feel hopeless. And instead you had, you had hope through the whole thing. You planned your wedding, which I think. Right. Yeah. We just, yeah, we went ahead with everything as, as if it was going to be a huge celebration. In fact, that's why we chose the song. I can see clearly now because we, we, we did have to postpone it um, from March to June. And we asked the oncologist if he expected that, uh, you know, his treatment would be finished by now. I think in his head, the oncologist w- was thinking, yes, because he's not going to be here on this earth. Oh, but I yeah. uh, but I was thinking, you know, in remission. Yeah. So we thought, you know, a perfect song would be, I can see clearly now the rain is gone, the skies are blue and everything. Yeah. Um, and then ironically, it was quite a fitting song for his funeral. Mm-hmm. So some of my good friends from elementary school sang that song at his yeah. funeral. So when I had to come up uh, with a, a title for the book, um, actually, my publisher was a very creative person, and, and she came up with the title. And I was shocked that I hadn't come up with it myself. Um, <laughs> and as soon as I heard it, I, you know, I just burst into tears. It was it's, it's the perfect uh, title for the book. That's when you know something's a good idea or a good title when you're like, it's so obvious to me. How did I not think of that? Right, right. Yeah. There are so many moments that really stand out to me. And I love just the story of your falling in love that summer. And then timing is such a crazy thing. You were you had planned to move permanently to Colorado, but then you met this great guy. And so then you're like, well, maybe I'll just go for six months. And there's a scene of you and your mom driving out of the driveway, ready to drive you to Colorado. And your dad and Scott are in the driveway waving to you. These two lovely men, so important to you, together waving and it gave me such a picture, and I don't want to say kind of like a a flash forward, but but they're together. Do you think of that sometimes? Yes, yes, I do, and and it's that that image is is so clear in my mind of seeing both of them in my childhood garage, and the the sorrow on both of their faces that I was leaving it it, it broke me, and I remember feeling so sad probably until I hit Kansas and then as I got closer to Colorado it lessened a little bit but that that uh, I, that yeah. that image is still you know 25 well 27 years now um yeah I think it's been since then 20 26 uh that I can still picture that in my head the two of them standing there and, and waving goodbye waving yes so then you got to Colorado, you got a job as a nanny, you were planning to stay for six months. And as someone who practices gratitude, at first I, I saw this, what happens next one way. 
And then I saw it another way. So you you were nannying for a, a sweet little girl. You it, The job was for six months, but you had fallen in love. Scott came to visit you. And so you asked for a week off, one week out of six months, you know, pretty confident your boss would say yes. And she said no. And she was quite rude about it. She said, why do you, you're obsessed with this guy or you're mentally unstable? And you said, no, I'm young and in love. Um, And so you quit, which I was rooting for you. And then I look back and I think, thank God that woman was such a witch because she did you a favor. You quit. And you got more time on the front end with Scott and your dad in the long run. Right. I came home two months early. Yes. Because part of uh, the issue with uh, living in Colorado, I had tons of job offers, but no place to live. Mm. There were very few places to live, which is why I took the nanny job. And I loved it up until then. But when Mm. she called me mentally unstable, (laughs) just because I wanted a, a week off, you know, I just couldn't work for somebody and live in their house when they insulted me like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just yes. couldn't. And I, and I never quit anything in my life. Mm-hmm. So it was very strange to do that, um, but very empowering. Um, and I stayed on until she found somebody else. And mm-hmm. then I got to be a ski bum for three weeks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you did uh, you. And, and live on my <laughs> live on my brother's couch uh, until my parents came out for their vacation. And then my dad drove back to New Jersey with me. So I had that very special time with my dad. So you settled back in New Jersey in a beautiful part of New Jersey. And you settled into such a lovely, quiet, fulfilling, sweet life with Scott. You would eat dinner and walk the dogs at night in this beautiful, quiet neighborhood. And I know this part of New Jersey. It really, for anyone listening who's never been to New Jersey or, or who's heard bad things about New Jersey, no, these towns are beautiful. And it sounds like such a such a good time, such a sweet, tender, wonderful time in your life. And then you got engaged. And then a short time later, he was diagnosed. And life is made up of moments. And it's so interesting that we never know what's going on in other people's lives. Because you described the night of O.J. Simpson's chase. And I think a lot of people remember where they were. And Mm -hmm. you were actually in the ER. And it's so interesting that we think of, you know, everyone thinks of where they were. and And we were all so focused on this freeway. But you were going through something so much bigger. Right, right. Yeah, I will never forget that night. We were supposed to go down to Hilton Head for a uh, a week vacation. And he suddenly spiked a fever. Um, actually, he had been at the uh, New York Rangers celebration in, in the city. He is, it was a huge Rangers fan. And Aww. he had gotten gotten sick uh, during the parade and got a fever and we had to bring him uh, up to the emergency room an hour and a half away where he was being treated and we just sat in the waiting room forever mm-hmm. watching oj simpson on tv while, wow. while uh, the doc- before the doctors were able to see him yeah so when people talk about that night that's all i remember is just sitting in the waiting room and just uh, praying that a doctor will would soon see him and, and, uh, you know, make whatever he was going through just disappear. And then you described another night for another moment, 4th of July, when he was home and he was in a lot of pain and you were fresh out of Tylenol. Can you describe that? Um, Yes. 
he had always looked forward to his town parade. Chatham always mm -hmm. had a Fourth of July parade, and he was so excited for me to experience it for the first time. Um, but unfortunately, once again, he was sick, and uh, we were all out of uh, Tylenol for me to try to get his fever down. Mm -hmm. So I, I went to the local pharmacy, and as soon as I, I was almost there, and the road was closed for the parade, mm -hmm. And I couldn't find a place to park. All the sirens or the, you know, the, of the, uh, the fire trucks in the parade and people mm -hmm. tooting their horns. And it was such a display of celebration. And it, it just, I'll never forget how lonely I felt that yeah. here the, the rest of his town is celebrating Independence Day. And, you know, the love of my life was so sick and I couldn't help him. Um, so I, I parked illegally and was able to run inside to the pharmacy. And on my way there, I, I tripped on a, um, I think on a dog leash and mm -hmm. I fell um, and I was crying, not because I was injured, but because of what was happening in my life. Yes, yeah, that exactly. Was and I think like, you know, people might have seen this young woman, she's running through the streets, she trips, she's crying. You're like, oh, she's probably drunk. It's 4th of July. You have no idea what people are going through. And it's so true that we have to just all be kind to each other. We're all fighting a battle we know nothing about, as the saying goes. And it's so true. If ever there was an example, exactly right, right. And it and it was so um, in like just seeing everybody celebrate uh, when mm -hmm. I was hurting so much. It was such a stark contrast to what I was going through. Um, yeah. And it was just a really, really incredibly lonely day. Yeah. I'm so sorry. And it was during those, those months and then, you know, towards the end of the summer and then leading into October when he, when Scott was back in the hospital, you were there every day and it sounded like it was hard is, is just obviously doesn't capture it, but there are some, some things that I wonder if they kind of trigger might be the wrong word because it, it's so overused now, but can you drink hazelnut coffee now? Uh, yes, people ask me that all the time. Yes, in fact, it brings me so much comfort. Oh, um, and 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 it it's so strange how what one simple thing has completely transformed my life. Yeah. So on his very worst days, when uh, everything was so unpredictable, I didn't know if he'd be able to open his eyes and look at me that day. I didn't know if he'd be able to speak that day. I didn't know what doctors would be by or, or, or what nurses, uh, I, everything was, or if he was even going to die that day. I never knew what each day had in store. But mm -hmm. the one thing that was predictable was that I could go down to the coffee shop and get a simple cup of hazelnut coffee. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't understand when I was 26, why that cup of coffee brought me so much comfort. Mm -hmm. And it, I just became so grateful for it. Uh, with the predictability and I would sit next to him as he slept and all the visitors left and I it just brought me so much comfort yeah. um, you know it wasn't until years later that I realized that what I was doing was practicing gratitude mm -hmm. when you know when everything had been stripped from me and him that it that's what it boiled down to to being grateful for a cup of hazelnut coffee yeah. And now, 25 years now later, um, after his death, that has become my life's mission is to help teach people the power of gratitude. Um, you know, I've, I've done uh, lots and lots of workshops, probably spoken to over a thousand people about gratitude. Um, I've published a gratitude journal. I make a gratitude bracelet. 
Um, everything that I do is about gratitude. I have an online course in gratitude because, you know, it's my mission that if, that if uh, gratitude helped me on my, the very, very worst day of my life, mm-hmm. then it can help anybody. Yes. Uh, so that is my goal to help people, whether it's a mental health issue, a crisis, a job loss, you know, whatever it is, that gratitude truly does heal. Absolutely. Your dad, who was you were very close to him, was such a wonderful man. He passed six weeks after Scott. And so for the past year or so, every time I think of you and your story, I, in my head, I say six months. And I think I may have subconsciously changed it because it's still so unfathomable to me that he passed six weeks later, unexpectedly. He was an otherwise healthy 58-year-old man. It's so shocking to me. They both said things before they passed that are so interesting. And I have in my notes, sandwiches and chairlift, and I'll let you tell them. Sure. Um, On one of these days that Scott was uh, lucid in the hospital, he just out of the blue just said, what are we going to do with all the extra sandwiches? I had no idea what he was talking about. And I just (laughs) thought, you you know, it must have been a dream state. And then after his funeral, when we were all at his parents' house and I'm in his childhood backyard, there is a whole table full of sandwiches. And his mother said to me, oh, my goodness, look at all these sandwiches. What are we going to do with all these extra sandwiches? (laughs) And I just burst into tears and Mm -hmm. uh, just really felt that that was, um, you know, his way of connecting. Yes. And and then with my father, after Scott died and I lived back at home with my parents, we did a lot of talking about death. It was the first time I'd ever experienced anybody close to me dying. And I was really just having a hard time, not just with grieving, but making sense of it all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my father being a psychiatrist, he was always open to talking about feelings and, and helping to, you know, process his own grief. And, you know, we were having one discussion, I'll never forget, we're uh, sitting in my bedroom and he kind of switched gears for a minute and, and said, well, you know, if I have it my way, I'm going to die on a chairlift. Mm-hmm. And then I said, well, dad, why a chairlift? Maybe skiing and you hit a tree, but at least you're skiing. You love to ski. <laughs> and, and he said, no, a chairlift. That's where I feel closest to God, breathing in the cool mountain air. I'm so at peace on a chairlift. Wow. And two, two weeks later, my father died on a chairlift. He had gone up to Vermont. Uh, he he had always taken an early season trip to Vermont, and uh, but this time I think was really with purpose to help him heal. The mountains just have a wonderful healing uh, quality to them. Mm-hmm. And I remember him preparing the night before, walking around the house in his ski boots and showing me how he duct taped his pants so they wouldn't get wet. And he was <laughs> just so proud and so excited. And uh, he left that morning, that Monday morning before Thanksgiving. And the ski patrol told us that they had seen him ski. He skied with an unusual uh, style of, mm-hmm. with his arms out and listening to music and just with, <laughs> like, it's hard to uh, describe, but just with so much joy. He skied mm-hmm. with joy. And yeah. you, sometimes he skied with a multicolored clown wig. He didn't have his clown wig on that day. <laughs> uh, but they, the ski patrol did say um, that they had seen him ski. And I also knew that at the time of his death that he had gotten a couple runs in because he always liked to get first chair. And yeah. he, he died on the chairlift at 1030. And if the you know mountains usually open at 839. So he definitely got a few runs in before he had a heart attack on the chairlift. Is this time of year hard for you? 
Yes, it still is. It's uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, these dates, you know, the anniversaries, I think, no matter how much time passes, mm-hmm. they're still hard. Yeah. And 20, 25 years now, um, Scott passed away October 11th, 1994. And my father, November 21st, 1994. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, for my father, it's always the Monday before Thanksgiving that sticks with me more, even though the date yeah. might not be the same because it was the Monday before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So part of what I do also now is help people cope with loss during the holidays. I have, um, you know, workshops and courses to help people with that because it's a particularly difficult time. Um, anniversaries are difficult, but I think the holiday period is, is really hard for anyone who's experienced loss. Yeah. And there's no time frame, right. On, on grieving on, and and also on getting back out there if you lost your significant other and dating is there you can't put a a month or year or time frame on it right 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 because you know my mother and I went through it together but we had very different time frames uh, mm-hmm. my mother started dating 3 months after my father died mm-hmm. I brought her with me to a bereavement group that I had been attending you know after Scott died uh, 2 weeks later I joined a bereavement group and I was receiving so much support and comfort. And then when my father died, I brought my mother with me. And I remember she didn't want to get out of the car. And we both were in this parking lot. Like, what do we, be- how, how did this happen? We don't belong here. Just in one year, these two men died suddenly. And it was just such a strange feeling to be in that parking lot with my mom. So we both walked in and uh, that night she was asked out on <laughs> dates by two different men. Um, and one of them was very persistent and they've been married for 20 years. I love this story. That's so great. It's so great. Yeah. What's your advice to some, you know, dating is lonely enough. Nothing makes you feel more alone on the planet than a bad date. And you had your share. I don't want to get oh my goodness people to read the book but there is a doozy in there after you read the book tweet Peggy and I or <laughs> send us a message on Instagram you'll know what, what I'm talking about but what <laughs> advice to um, someone in this situation who either has is has grieved and is ready to get back out there or even a breakup what do you say to someone who just got home from a date that makes them feel like I'm never going to meet someone for me, I, I just had to get really clear on what I wanted. I think I was sending kind of the wrong vibe out into the universe. Like I didn't want to be alone, but at the same time, I was too scared to ask for what I wanted out of fear of not getting it and out of fear of then or possibly getting it and losing it again or, or a person. Right. Um, so I think it, it, it involved a tremendous amount of courage to even start dating and then secondly, a tremendous amount uh, to ask for what I wanted and to, to really get clear. Um, yeah, I made didn't a want list. To date. Yes, mm-hmm. I made a list and, and uh, it mm-hmm. was pretty basic, but they were standards that I was not willing to budge on, that he mm-hmm. needed to be employed. Yes. <laughs> um, and skiing is such a part of my life. He needed to be a skier. And children are so important to me. He needed to love children. And I, I, I did. I made a list. And I truly believe in the law of attraction and that what we put out into the world comes back to us. So I remember I sat down on my childhood bedroom floor, my pink carpet mm-hmm. with my list and my incense and candle burning. And I really mm-hmm. just thought about this man that I wanted to be with. I didn't want to date anymore. I didn't want any more horrible dates. I had been on um, 
too many. And, and I knew after having experienced the love that I had with Scott, I knew that it was possible. And in a way, that's kind of scary because I couldn't settle for anything less. And you shouldn't have to. And that list, I think, really, it, it got fulfilled. I think it helped get you clear. And um, yes. and the universe answered. Absolutely. And and then and then some. <laughs> so, yes. so, my, so my husband now, we've been married 21 years, and we joke about how he met every single um every single thing on my list and more for example the, the skiing you know I, I knew I needed to um, be with someone who loves to ski but not only does he love to ski but he's our children's head coach of a ski team Aww. not only not only does he love children but he's an elementary school teacher uh, so you know it's he just went above and beyond and the really crazy thing is that during all of this time when I was grieving and trying to make sense of everything I had seen a medium Mm -hmm. And she told me that I would marry a teacher named John. And sure I enough, <laughs> I'm married to a teacher named John. It's so perfect. And she said something else that, wow, this really got me because I believe it 100% that she said she was with Scott. You're going to have three children. He's lining them up for you. And yes, I love yes. that. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really incredible. And I, and if I hadn't written it all down, um, each I saw two different mediums, and they each allowed me to audio tape. Yeah. And I was so afraid that something might happen to the tape that right away I transcribed it all. Oh, so, that was smart. So I listened to it and then typed it into my computer. Um, you know, I, I still do have the tapes. I don't think I, I don't have anything to play them on because yeah. they're, they're um, <laughs> outdated electronics. Yeah. But I'm so grateful that I have the, the written words typed into my computer. But otherwise, I wouldn't believe it. It's just yeah. too wild. Yeah. And we talked on our first show about all of the wonderful signs that have that have come through. And I don't want to spoil it. Um, I want readers to read it for themselves and, and to listen to that first episode. But you've had other signs recently, right? Yes, it's really incredible. I just got together with the group of um, co-workers that I had during that time. They, had, they knew Scott before he got sick when I was working at Newark Beth Israel Medical Center in, um, in New Jersey. And uh, so they knew him then, and then they knew him through the diagnosis and uh, it, so they had seen me through it all. And these, these women were there for me every single morning, having coffee, hugging me while I cried. They, they heard about all my crazy dates. And, <laughs> uh, and we don't get together regularly. And I was showing them uh, a video that I had taken. Uh, I love to kayak. And one of my favorite things is to watch the sunset. And I was on the lake um, near my vacation home. And I heard some music. So I paddled toward it to hear what the song was. And sure enough, it was I was listening to the song that made Scott think of me yes. to call me after he hadn't called me for a year. It's a, I can, um, well, I keep on thinking about you, Sister Golden Hair Surprise by America. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, I, so I'm paddling and I'm trying not to drop my paddles in the water while mm. taking a quick like video of the song. Mm. so that I could send it to my mom because we do that we we share things back and forth like that and as I hit the record button out of the whole song that I could possibly record it's the six or seven words that he heard that made him call me so somehow I managed to hit record and then hit stop at the, those exact words 
And then I sent the video to my mom and it was, I couldn't tell at the time, but there's like a dancing orb in the video. So oh, my mom wow. wrote back and said, you know, can, do you see the orb? And I, I had to take a second look at it. So when, when these oh, women wow. and I got together about a month ago, I was telling them about this uh, video and the song. I said, remember, you know, this is a book, how Scott called me and after hearing Sister Golden Hair. So I showed them on my phone, the video. And as soon as I put my phone in my pocket, what song comes on the radio is we're all gathered in my friend's living room. Sister Golden Hair. <laughs> and and the, there's about 10 of us and we all burst into tears. It was unbelievable. Wow. So I feel like it was his way of showing these ladies who were there for me. Yeah. In, in 1994. Yeah, he was saying thank you. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was so powerful. I mean, the timing, it was just so unbelievable that yeah. I had just wow. showed them the video put it in my pocket, and then it comes on the radio. And this is not a popular song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how often do they play that on the radio? I don't think ever. I never hear it. <laughs> wow. Wow, these are amazing. I'm so thrilled for you. I'm going to put all of the links in the show notes, but if you could tell everyone where to find you and where to find the book. Sure. I can be found on my website. It's drpeggydelong.com. So it's a dr. P-E-G-G-Y-D-E-L-O-N-G dot com. And there I have some courses because I truly believe in the power of gratitude and the law of attraction. So I've got some online courses teaching people how to harness that. And my gratitude bracelet and my book, everything is up there. I'm all on, on that website. Perfect. And I'll put those in the show notes. And I can't thank you enough. And congratulations again. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I, of course, I could talk about this uh, forever. <laughs> I know. I, <laughs> I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care, Fern. Okay, you too. Okay, bye. Thank you so much for listening to Signs from the Other Side. You can find me, Fern Rone, on all social media at Fern Rone, R-O-N-A-Y. I love hearing from you and I love hearing your stories of signs. And if you would like to hear more episodes of this show, please be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts. Thank you again and sweet dreams.